When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Podcast that knows sticks and stones may break our bones, but neither James Franklin nor a lightly tossed PB&J could ever hurt us. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, I often compare you to a Civil War era surgeon, cutting barbarically through the bones and tendons of college football with your analyses, while administering optimism liberally as though it were morphine. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I like to say, think of myself as the doctor on the HMS Surprise where, you know, the oceans are battlefields, but that's just me. But, you know, it's improvement week, man. Trying to do the best I can to recover. Have to go hiking this weekend. But, I mean, what else am I going to do when Michigan isn't playing? In your medical opinion, do you think it would be smarter to fight two male chimpanzees who are wearing Kevlar body armor and armed with knives or Mike Morris? Easily the former. I thought you were going to say quorum at first, but the answer is always the chimpanzees and Kevlar. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Give me two chimpanzees armed with knives for sure over Mike Morris. My friend, it is great to have this discussion with you today. We are coming off the best win of the season by far for this 2022 Michigan Wolverines team. Let's get into some quick hits, and then we're going to talk a lot about that Penn State game. Got some good bye week stuff for you as well. A couple interesting segments we want to get into. First quick hit. Tom Brady watch. He doesn't even want to be out there anymore, man. This could end up being it's not there yet, but this could end up being one of the more unceremonious endings for the most like celebrated player that we know. 
Players never leave when you want them to, man. Players, prize fighters, they always hang on a year or two too long. You think of Hakeem Olajuwon playing with the Raptors. You think of Joe Montana playing with the Chiefs. Like It never ends when it should, or at least it rarely does. And if this is the end, man, you got to remember the good times. Indeed, sir. It's We're definitely at that part of the artist biopic where the genius of the artist is actually what leads to their insanity. Think Howard Hughes and the Ava- Aviator, Mozart, Namadeus, Dewey Cox. We're definitely in that like downward spiral part of things where you just can't call it quits, even though you know you should. So, man, we're going to keep watching Tom Brady, but this thing has a chance to go off the rails here soon. Sir, cook on hockey for a moment. Things are happening in the hockey world. <clears throat> Ah, yes, man. Coming off a split weekend with the Boston Terriers. Michigan won the first game 9-2. to two. I believe it tied their biggest win ever. A top 10 opponent just smoked them from the get-go. It was overwhelming. It was a barrage. Uh, brother Seamus Casey looked outstanding again. Adam Fantilli continues to be him as a very, very talented 200-foot center. And Eric Portillo was one of the three stars of the Big Ten this past week as well. Um, game two, Michigan fell three to two. It's a very physical, very dirty game. There's a really cheap hit by a BU defenseman on Rutger McGordy by sticking his knee out, which is very, very dangerous. Uh, officiating was rough, but still one goal game. Michigan moves up in the polls to number five. Um, should bounce back this week, play uh, Lake Superior State. So a nice warm up game before the, it picks up again. Brother Seamus is the absolute perfect nickname for Seamus Casey. Uh, Rutger McGrudy, though. McGrudy, is that what it is? Also a name worth mentioning. I don't know which one I like more. Rutger McGrudy. The kid is like, if Tim Tebow could play both sides in football and give 110% effort, that's who Rutger McGrudy is. Good Lord, I'm getting three hockey jerseys. Now, my jersey uh, purchase list is is long. I've got some things that I need to accomplish. But yeah, man, you are the hockey go-to over at Maze & Brew. We're going to keep checking in on you. It sounds like you and I are going to be going to our first hockey game. On the eve of battle with Ohio State, we will be enjoying Yost Arena. So really looking forward to that one, too. We're really only doing it so I just won't like pester you with like stats from like the Vietnam War of like Michigan, Ohio State because I'm in like such the weeds analytically sometimes. Like Andy, focus on the hockey game. Divert your attention here. Have fun. So have to do that before the game to keep us all on track. I mean, we were up two scores on Penn State, and you're already texting me stuff about Ohio State. And I'm like, my man is locked in this year. He is not playing around. He knows what's on the horizon. But uh, yeah, we'll be definitely keeping up with hockey. I keep saying we're going to start the basketball talk next week, but it still feels just a little bit too early for basketball. So we're going to hold off. Although you did just tell me that Doug McDaniel might be the dude. So getting excited. We may have to start next week when we're, you know, coming off the bye week uh want to touch on recruiting a little bit not something that we really do a lot of here but this is one to keep an eye on and that is five-star quarterback Jaden Davis who had Georgia and Michigan in his final four or five uh Georgia just took another quarterback Jaden Davis wants to commit here on the you know sooner rather than later things are really trending up for a five-star quarterback that's going to really move Michigan up in the rankings currently number 23 But this is a guy to watch, and all it takes is one guy, and if that one guy is the quarterback, recruiting can turn around really quick. Not like we're doing terrible. 23 isn't horrible this time in the year, but you'd think a 7-0 Big Ten championship team would be a little bit higher. This guy could be the catalyst. 
Absolutely. And other things are trending as well uh, that came out today. We're in the top five for a four-star defensive lineman. Looking like Tennessee, but there's still time there. And there was another player as well today. Vaughn hasn't really covered it. Mason Brew. Um, but no, I think this past weekend is the was the biggest push in recruiting. It was, look at what we just did to Penn State. Had a lot of notable recruits there. They could see the Mazow interact with the 97 team. So I think that has been the single biggest weekend for recruiting all season so far. Yeah, I think so as well. And seeing Michigan, like you said, just dominate, that's going to do nothing but help. But as it currently stands, we have 15 hard commits. Eno Etta, the defensive lineman out of Texas, being the highest ranked uh, recruit. Cole Cabana, the Michigan kid, the running back that I think I'm starting to get excited about as well. So a couple guys already on there. But if Michigan wants to end up in that top 10 or really that top five where you want to be, this push that's happening over the next couple of weeks and on this bye week is going to be something to watch. So we will be keeping up on that, hopefully informing you of a Jaden Davis commitment here in the coming weeks. But let's get on to what happened at Penn State, sir, because this was juicy. 41-17, Michigan rushes for 418 yards. Just a mother-slapping level of an insult to defeat a top 10 <laughs> opponent like this. It's as though we came in and slapped every one of their mothers individually. Michigan outgained Penn State 563 to 268 in this one. And the score isn't even really as close as it actually was. It does not indicate how much of a beatdown this was. Let's get your thoughts on this, man. And as always, let's start with the defense. It's just an absolute statement kind of performance from the defense. So you and I broke this down last week and talked about Sean Clifford running, and we were right. Sean Clifford running would be was an issue for exactly one play, and I believe it was about 66 yards of their offense, but that play was masterfully designed and like pulled by a veteran. But besides that one play on defense, they sustained only one drive, the opening one of the second half against this unit. It was just overwhelming at the way they stopped the run, forced them to be a passing team, really just made life chaotic. And they the way they blitzed was just masterful. I mean, Jesse Minter, again, just two weeks in a row has blown me away with his exotic blitz package and the way he's moving guys around and stunting and twisting and giving them all kinds of different looks. And perhaps my favorite play on the defense all game was young freshman Will Johnson legally and just brutally laying the wood on Sean Clifford running down the sidelines and knocked him out for a series. Just a very welcome here, like coming out party for Will Johnson on that one hit. Will Johnson getting better and better every week, flying up the ranks for potential jersey purchase. Look, if I were to tell you, like just you didn't know who the opponent was. And I was like, yeah, Michigan just played a game. Their first downs were 28 to 10. Their total plays were 79 to 51. And their time of possession was 4156 to 1804. You'd probably think I was describing a game against UT Martin or 11 kids that maybe found their way onto a football field and ended up against the Michigan Wolverines, not against the number five rushing defense in the country coming in. This was absolute domination. That time of possession one, absolutely insane. But that's what it felt like. I was there for this one, and it really felt like even when they did have the two fluke plays, and the one's not a fluke. I, I, you're right about that. Sean Clifford is a very intelligent court. He fooled everybody. He fooled the cameraman when he decided to pull that and take off for 65 yards, which accounted for about 65% of their rushing yards on the day. But 
aside from that, it was so dominant that it never even really felt like a contest as far as like a favorite play on defense. I don't even really know that I had one. I mean, they finally got to Clifford. Clifford does a really good job of avoiding sacks. So just the two sacks in this one, but the uh, RJ Moten sack when they brought the exotic blitz in there to finally get some pressure on him was a really unique Jesse Minter, just gem of a defensive play call. And he had a lot of them. You already talked about how awesome he was on this day. It's it's hard to give him enough praises. I mean, you look at the score and you're like, oh, 17, but one of those isn't on the defense. And it was a complete fluke that one touchdown, the, the pick six. And then so, yeah, outside of just one play, this is one of the more, I would say, top three most complete victories of the Harbaugh era. Would you agree? Top three defensively, at least. Absolutely, man. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the offense in a second and why I believe this this whole point to be entirely true. And on the defense, we, we've been very hard and critical of certain players at times, and I think they equally deserve their praise. And I'd like to say that for Kalel Mullings in this game, who played fantastic on defense when he was in there just really looked like the guy we'd hoped he had been two years ago was just very like comfortable out there very knowledgeable the whole team just seemed dialed in but Kaleo especially from a guy who often seems lost played outstanding I thought for him perhaps his best game is a Wolverine um, DJ Turner was better gave up the long ball but he was in good position it was just one of those it was a really good throw and the guy ran right underneath. He was on the hip. It was a tough play to make. And I will say I was very impressed with Turner. Perhaps one of my, maybe my second favorite defensive play of chasing down Sean Clifford. It just it showed heart on that like 66-yard run when he chased him down and tackled him inside the five. Didn't give up on the play. Forced them to earn it. What ended up being on a fourth and goal for the touchdown. And you just don't really see that kind of effort from teams when they're just dominating like this. And to see DJ Turner use his speed to chase him down really impressed me. Yeah, I'll start with your first point about Kalel Mullings, who we were a little difficult, you know, with. We were hard on him to begin, but we also were kind of understanding in the fact that he wasn't supposed to be a linebacker this year. He was not supposed to be playing. We had him at running back in the spring game. So I was allowing some room for growth there. So to see him kind of start to learn the position a little bit a bit again is certainly encouraging. We don't really want to be playing Kalel Mullings out there right now. I don't you know can't speak for the coaches but I would have to imagine that's not the case so to see him improve was great DJ Turner you mentioned did improve and I think DJ just came into this season thinking it was going to all be easy for him he was going to be this lockdown corner no one was going to challenge him but now people are way happier to challenge DJ Turner than they are Jamon Green he had another drop pick in this one so I guess he owes clink scale three now yeah, I, I'm a little harder on Green, even though he did have a bounce back game. Want to touch on the defensive line, even though the stats aren't crazy. Mike Morris and Mozzie Smith, man, they are both probably other than maybe Olu right at the top for the John Runyon Jr. Award excellence for just continued improvement and excellence because they just do their job day in and day out. And it's not always flashy, but it is always effective. So just a well, well-rounded performance by the defense. And I don't I don't have enough good things to say about Jesse Minter, man. I'm not ready to say that he's better than McDonald. I mean, that's a pointless and fruitless question. We were kind of talking about some of the comps from on the offense, which we'll get to in a second. But man, has Jesse Minter filled in nicely for McDonald. 
it's it's tough to say because uh, McDonald was compared to such a bad defense in 20, and Mentor is basically carrying over McDonald's scheme with like their second year in it, so guys are able to learn. But, I mean, McDonald had three first-rounders in that defense, technically, before Ojabo blew out his Achilles at his pro day. And Mentor doesn't have that, does not have three first-rounders, at least we presume he doesn't and is still just getting so much out of this unit. Mike Elston has done a fantastic job as well with the defensive line and helping them progress throughout the season. And I think another quiet excellence award there is, I think this was Chris Jenkins' best game. He had been like getting, getting, I don't know what the word is, maybe shelled off a little bit, Not had trouble getting off blocks at certain times. I thought in this game he was fantastic as well with Morris and Mozzie Smith, to your point. And yeah, man, the way they've progressed in the run defense from Maryland to now, just that improvement is the sign of a good team. Absolutely, man. Let's move over to the offense here where I am ready to consume Crow. Now, I was a little hard on the play calling. I don't think I was like overly, overly mean about it. After Maryland, I was a little worked up, but you talked me down and then the stuff I was saying before the game last week, you really sent me some great, great videos breaking it down, trying to just show me how little I actually know about all this. Because, I mean, look, you're going to have some bad calls out there. And I was critical of the play calling. I was like, they don't realize how easy their tendencies are to forecast. I was saying things like the two play callers absolutely won't work. This was a master class in offensive play calling. Uh, on Saturday against Penn State. It just was. It was an absolute masterclass. If you only need to throw the ball, what was it, 24 times JJ threw the ball? And, I mean, they, they didn't even need to do that. If you can win against the number five rush defense that way, I, I, I have no choice but to retract every negative comment. And, look, it happens. We should eat crow when we're wrong. Colin Coward said Lamar Jackson would never be a Sam Darnold, and he doesn't get any crap for that every day. I mean, I thought Graham Mertz was going to be good when I first saw him. I thought Miles Sims and Elise Mbase Amosa were going to change the Michigan defense. So I've had worse calls than this, but man, am I happy to eat crow because the play calling was awesome against Penn State. Good Lord. Yeah, man, and you're happy to own it, which I love about you. And you And it was like you weren't necessarily just like out to hate. Like you were just trying to look at things and like take it from your perspective, doing the right things. But then again, you did your due diligence. I sent you some videos because you and I are both always just trying to learn and get better. And when you see the breakdowns and then you see this performance, especially you and I were kind of tipped off. It might've been a really good game when Sharon Moore spoke last Thursday and kind of had a cheeky grin about their play calling and their self scouting. So we thought something was coming, but we didn't know it was going to be this. I mean, it was just, it blew me away how good it was. They didn't even have to go to like their play of a play, like their counter move at all, just because they were running the ball so well, just with duos, with split zones, with bluff zones. Just They were doing so many different things out there. Offensive line. When the offensive line is the strength of your team, your offense can have success. Like You can have mediocre skill players and a great offensive line and be a good team. And man, were they just dominant. And which brings me to this point. PFF absolutely does not matter because nobody on this offensive line graded out to above a 75 or something like that. So again, PFF is irrelevant. We're officially writing it off, striking it from the out of the blue record because what they did in this game was just impose their will time and time again. 
Yeah, you sent me that, and I saw it on Twitter, and I was like, well, that's it. That's the death knell for PFF. If you're trying to tell me that, like, Ryan Hayes was graded out at, like, a 69% in this game, and I'm just like, well, then you didn't really watch the game, did you? Because we could do whatever we wanted on every play. So, yeah, we're retiring PFF. Does not pass the smell test. Uh, Totally agree with you about the offensive line point. I made this point, and I'm going to keep making it, that so long as Michigan is healthy on the offensive line, and healthy behind the offensive line, meaning running backs, quarterbacks. I don't, there's maybe one or two teams in the country that can beat us. Like we're not going to lose any other game other than Ohio state, which is going to be a coin flip. So long as our offensive line and our running backs are healthy. They're that good. They're that dominant of a unit unit Harbaugh being there. And, you know, we talked about a little bit off air about what he did at Stanford and how you knew he was going to get quality tight ends and quality offensive linemen. Well, we have that now at Michigan. It's year in and year out. I had my article about just how dominant we are on both lines, but in particular on the offensive line, we won the Joe Moore award last year. I think we're leading the pack right now in in that category as well. Having, you know, the, number two as far as yards and number one as far as touchdowns rusher in the country and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards is just now getting going after being a little bit banged up so I'm with you man um while we're on the subject who you got in a fight Olu Olu with Timmy or three Komodo dragons covered in Kevlar body armor of course I'm, you know I'm going with Oluwatimi in this one. Like, the, what he is doing to that center position, and Grant, you and I both love Andrew Fastardis as a leader and what he brought to the locker room, but just Olu's sheer size and the way he has just fit in seamlessly with the chemistry on the offensive line has been brilliant, man. The holes they were opening up for the backs just made their life easier, but still, even when the backs were getting to the second level, they're making somebody miss which makes me want which brings me to this this has to make you feel better especially because you were you were getting concerned as was I about Blake Corm's workload having Donovan Edwards have his first career 100 yard game go for over 170 in this one and just finally look like Dono again now that is the encouraging sign we wanted from that position group that is the magic ingredient right there. Having him back changes everything. I mean, that's another receiver, too. We weren't bemoaning, but we brought up the question last week, like, how good actually are these receivers? Well, I know Donovan Edwards is awesome as a receiver. So now you have him impacting both the running back room and the receiver room. That is just another weapon and one of the best weapons in the country coming back at full strength. I mean, the 67-yard touchdown, you had the quorum and then Edwards back-to-back 60-plus-yard touchdowns that broke the the Penn State back in this game. Then there was the two-point conversion call, which I know we wanted to touch on because of all the calls that they had today. I love watching red zone play calls and two-point conversion calls. It's second only to watching the secondary play because these are the plays that you've got in your bag that you're like, look, if it's a meaningful play, the score's on the line, And that play that they ran for the two-point conversion, setting up Ronnie Bell, throwing it behind the line, getting guys in motion, confusing the defense, like switching up where the blockers assignments were, was just a brilliant play call, man. And just adding on to the crow that I'm eating because that stretch of the game, the back-to-back touchdowns, the two-point conversion was without a doubt the turning point in this game. Yeah, a hundred percent. Just broke the game wide open, and that two point call was a very NFL type call. Uh, Tom Brady's run a lot of that in New England, and now again with the Buccaneers, just get him in motion with two blockers. Then it's like 
it's three versus three and you have that momentum, it's so hard for the defender to make the tackle. It's hard to remember, though, last year Michigan had a great two-point call against Georgia where they shifted in the backfield. Corum took the direct snap, handed it to McCarthy, who then handed off a reverse to A.J. Henning to score. The game was over, but again, though they have these play calls in the arsenal, and they have it's just going to continue to expand in the big games. Like I don't know how much you're going to see in the next coming weeks of this. I think you're going to see more of what you saw against Penn State, which is a great thing, but like there's just so much more to this offense and this defense. They continue to build, show new looks, the multiplicity on both sides of the ball, but on offense, this is really what we've been dreaming about since Jed Fish, is this the most creativity we've seen since Jed Fish? It is. It is. Yeah, you have to go back that far because we were talking about how, uh, you know, we're like, man, you made the claim and go ahead and get it out there that this is better play calling than Gaddis. And I thought about it for a second. And I was like, you're absolutely right. Because for two years, we were like, I don't know about Josh Gaddis. And then last year was the first year we were like, oh, yeah, he's getting it. This speed and space thing is kind of working. He goes to Miami. It's an abject disaster. Whereas Sharon Moore gets elevated and Michigan is better than we were on offense last year. I mean, some of that's JJ. Uh, some of that is the offensive line, I think, is a little bit improved. But a lot of that is on the coaches. A lot of that is on the coaches. And it begs the question, like, what was Josh Gaddis actually doing? Was this all Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss the entire time? But it's it's fascinating to look at, man. And it really makes you look at it a different light. Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss stock rising. Uh, after this game, Penn State goes from the number five rush defense to the number 56. JJ 17 of 24 for 145 and one interception in this game. The interception not on him, just a freak play. So that's two interceptions on the year. Neither one are egregious. Blake goes 28 for 162 and two tutties. Donnie 16 for 173 and two touchdowns, which is insane production like 10.3 yards per carry Ronnie Bell had five catches in this balanced deadly efficient lumbering brutish at times the best offensive performance of the year though absolutely I mean this is the most rush yards a hardball team has put up since the Rutgers massacre of 2016 it's the third most rushing yards Penn State as a program has ever allowed since they started tracking stats there so, I mean, you can't help but raise this high enough because of how impressive it was. Even on special teams, man, Jake Moody, four for four in this one, laid the wood on a kickoff. He finally has his swagger all the way back. He has three misses on the year. I only really put one on him because one was a block, one was from 60. But then he has that miss against Maryland, which stands out. So he finally has his swagger back underneath him. And coming into a bye week, getting ready to head to Michigan State, super motivated for a revenge game. I don't think this team could be in a better place all around. Totally agree with you, Jake Moody. Have to highlight him. Probably not the Lou Groza Award winner this year. We don't need him to be. We just need him to be what he has been, which is so solid, steady, uh, good from 50-plus. You can pretty much guarantee it. Like you said, the only one that I count as an actual miss was the Maryland one, so special teams was good. We've already talked about coaching in this one. Just a solid all-around, all-around performance. I'm giving him an A-plus against Penn State. Um, none of our predictions on this were close. We changed our predictions so many times. Your first prediction was actually the closest. Um, but then right before game time, I think you and I started to feel the confidence return to us. I ended up betting on that one and and covering. Um, 
So yeah, want to, you know, I'm, I'm so nervous to give out betting lines because if it's just me losing, I don't care. But if I give you guys advice and you follow it and then you lose, man, I feel awful. But yeah, Michigan treated me tonight last week against Penn State and odds are good. We're not doing hate week quite yet, but odds are good. Uh, I'm going to be feeling good about the line on that one as well. All right, sir, let's take a quick sponsor break. And then when we come back, we're going to do some report cards seven games through the season. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. I myself like to keep myself as well manicured as a topiary at Buckingham Palace, but I know there are way too many of my brothers out there who have let your nether regions bloom into some type of unkempt, woolly forest of despair. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, you need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve, and that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0, With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect Your Delicate Parts, Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. Look, for me, the best part about the Platinum Package is you start to get into a routine, you start to figure out your preferences, start to figure out how you like the shape, the trim of the bush, you're going to see your confidence rise. And that's what Manscaped Platinum Package can offer for you. Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, coming back, sir. We're going to do some standard report cards. We should have done this last week, but I don't know what we were thinking. It's just... uh... Alcohol abuse, probably on my part, I guess. But we're going to do it this week. Nonetheless, we're going to go through this and pretty basic exercise here. So we're just going to talk it through. Give our grades. Uh, Plus minuses are allowed in this. And that's all I got. Let's start in the defense. Let's go defensive line. What are you thinking here? Okay, I want to be strict on this because I don't want this just to be a podcast of pure just, oh my God, we're the best ever. I want to be a little analytical and work through some things. So the defensive line, the beginning of the year with the cupcakes rolled. You have the crazy game. I believe it was seven sacks against Colorado State. You had another big performance like that against IU. Uh, showed some struggles um, in zone against Iowa. Indiana or Maryland gave us some fits as well. But this performance here just really just like, pushes them to another level for me. So I'm going to give them on the year, I'm going to give them an A minus. I don't want to go like too crazy. You know, I'm the master of optimism, but I'm also not going to be an ass and be like, well, it's a C because look at the zero tech or something stupid like that. So A minus feels right for this group at this time of the year. Uh, A minus is the lowest you can go. I'm in line with you here. I don't want this just to be a big reach around fest for the Michigan team. Like we want to, you know, try and break this down a little bit, have some analyses here. I'll go with an A though, just because of some of the stats that you sent me about how we're actually ahead of some of our defensive line statistics as far as tackles for losses and sacks as a total team than we were last year. And last year, how could you not give that team an A? Ultimately, though, this one's going to come down to the Ohio State game. So uh, I'm fine with an A- minus for now. I'd I'd argue an A just because Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris and the emergence of a Yabioki, but I'm fine with it. Let's move to linebackers. This one, 
um, I think is probably going to be our lowest grade, but you can't go too low for a seven and O team, especially you have to take into account like what we just said about Kalel Mullings, how he hasn't played super well on the whole, but he wasn't expected to be a starting linebacker. So right now I'm feeling this is in the B minus C plus range. That's exactly where I'm at. Like I, I can't go, you can't go lower than that because they're not bad and they're slightly above average, especially junior Colson, who I believe is one of the better linebackers in the big 10 on the whole. So I would go B minus here, like the rushing defense and what they've done. They work in tandem with the defensive line and it's in large part for them to fill those running lanes. So like nationally, I mean, we're fifth in points per game. I think a large part has to do with them filling the gaps, getting out in space and again, Junior Colson's play here really just takes this one up from a C plus to a B minus for me. If you didn't have Junior Colson, this is probably much, much lower than a C plus. So, yeah, he covers a lot of warts and we got guys coming back and the guys that have filled in have filled in admirably. I'm not going to knock the position unit because I firmly believe and I think you agree with me. We should have had a linebacker transfer just for depth this year. So we shouldn't have been bringing guys over from the offensive side of the ball but can't knock the unit for that. That's on the coaches. Let's move over to the cornerbacks. This is an interesting one. Cornerbacks is a fun discussion because like you could like you can kind of pick a few plays out here and there where they're giving him up, but Jamon Green has been shut down. The pass defense on a whole is much better than last year. If you remember, it was in Steve Kleinscale's contract that if the pass defense finished in the top 25, then he would get promoted to co-DC. They did. They were. They ended up being 27th after the bowl, but the regular season they were in the top 25. And now this year they're in the top 10. And you can feel the work from the safeties and what they're doing. But if you include what Jamon Green has done, Mikey Sainer still coming over on the other side of the ball, and DJ Turner being the quote-unquote weak link because he gives up, you know, one pass here and one pass there and isn't just the Jordan Lewis heir to be that we thought he would be, this unit is still very, very good. So I'm going to go B-plus on this one. This is for sure a B-plus unit. You can't go more than that because of where the takeaways are at. Rod Moore and Jamon Green have been your just like this they go into the no star defense kind of idea because you don't notice them week in and week out and that's because nobody really tries them and they're just doing the right thing so that's where the strength of this defense or excuse me the corners is at there's not really a guy that's out there that's just the ball hawking pick magnet we don't have that dj turner has not turned into that so i can't give him like an a or anything so this feels very much like a b plus range um the only reason I would push back and I'm actually pushing back on the linebackers thing because we gave the linebackers a B minus the corners a B plus like feels like the corners have been slightly better than that. But you're, we're, semantics here, semantics here. I think B plus is good. Now let's go over to the safeties here where we haven't talked about the safeties almost at all this year other than my Makari page love. And that's because they haven't been out of position. You don't really want to talk about your safeties too much. Uh, Rod Moore and R.J. Moten. R.J. Moten had a sack last week. Moten's got a pick. Moore's got a pick. These guys have been great. Steadying force. One of the better union units on the team. Um, I'm compelled to put them right where we put the defensive line at an A minus. Honestly, I feel like I could even go as high as an A. Yeah, Rod Moore with two picks on the year. 
and just always just masterful in the back end, getting people in the right position. Moten, I believe, was a little banged up from reading between the lines, and this was his first game back to full strength. Makari Page emerging within the three deep there is like the big hitter, like blitzing and playing well in coverage. I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to go as high as an A with this group because you made the best point. We don't talk about them that much because they are never out of position and they're making plays, forcing turnovers and in the backfield. I'm with you. Let's give them an A. That's surprising. I'm glad we did this exercise. I was sure defensive line would grade out the best, but it's probably actually the safeties who have had just as clean of a first half of the season as you could ask for. All right, let's move over to the offense. Let's start with the O-line. We were just giving them praises, saying we think this is better than the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. So I feel these grades are going to be high. I'm going to throw it to you, though. What do you think, O-line? Um, offensive line has been just tremendous. We've, I mean, harped on this enough. Uh, Indiana was one of the rougher games, but Indiana always gives our offensive line like a tough time. The way they're coached up is very unique and different schematically. And But this performance against Penn State, man, I mean, it's either going to be the O-line or another one's going to be my highest on the team. I just feel like it's an end zone. If we're talking about them being better than the Joe Moore award-winning group last year and what they just did to the number five ranked rushing defense, paving the way for more rush yards than Penn State had given up in five games combined. I feel like I can't go lower than an A+. I mean, what's better than what we just witnessed? I'm with you. And your point about uh, the Joe Moore award-winning Offensive line is great, but your second point is even better. Penn State had given up 398 yards total coming into this game. We rushed for 418. Now, we could be victims of the moment here and giving them an A+, but I don't care. This offensive line is insane. And, I mean, we're talking about potentially historic levels of offense. Blake Corm's going to go over a grand against Michigan State. You know, like, remember when we were like, man, maybe we'll have a 1,000-yard rusher this year. Corm's about ready to do it. In week eight, like this is insane. Anything other than A plus doesn't make sense. Let's move to the running backs. They also are going to get high grades here. And I'm going to just go ahead and throw it out there. How if you give the O-line that A plus, and I just mentioned that we were talking historical rushing stats, how can this not be an A plus too? These are the two, man. These are the two highest on the team. The running back room has just been spectacular. And I'm when I say room, I'm really referring to the top two guys. It was good to see C.J. Stokes get out of the doghouse and get some carries back under his belt after his fumble. But, man, the one-two of Edwards and Corum this year and what they do at the second and third levels and their quest to improve, the way they're both catching the ball this year, and you know Corum's going to be out for blood against Michigan State. That was by far his worst game of his career last year. So, man, they're just, they're just getting better. They do everything right. The way they um, pass protect now, I think it's overlooked a lot of the time because we had Hassan Haskins for years who was just a wall back there. But these guys are really getting involved in the pass pro and doing a great job at it. Anything lower than A plus is just wrong. Wrong, insulting, borderline treason. Beware the beasts in the attic, baby, because this rushing attack has a chance to be the best ever at Michigan. I said it. I'm not like it could happen just with health. That's all that's stopping this from being the best rushing attack ever at Michigan is health, because if they're healthy the way that they were against Penn State and our offensive line is out there. Good luck. All right, let's move to the receivers. This is an interesting one. You and I last week kind of brought it up that maybe they weren't as elite 
as they looked on paper coming in. What's your grade on the receivers? Receivers are interesting. After watching some film breakdown, I like send a few of my Ronnie Bell comments because he's lining up at all three different positions at X, Y, and Z. And just has a ton of different responsibilities, each of these, especially when they're choice routes and option routes. And especially the way all the wide receivers are blocking, including Andrew Anthony, and the drops have cleaned up for the most part. Uh, CJ had one against Indiana, but immediately made up for it. Ronnie had some the in the I call it the preseason against the lower ranked schools, but has really just been sure handed ever since. Roman Wilson having him back made a big difference in the group. They, they're not an A. They're not even a B plus, but I'm going to go a solid B with them because I feel like they do a lot of things right that go overlooked with the blocking, some of the sure handedness, and just they're a very cohesive unit, not the talent breaking unit we thought they'd be at the beginning of the year, but I can't say lower than a B. That feels right to me as well because you take in, you know, say you just take Ronnie and Roman and you just want to grade them. Roman starts out as an A, probably just is an A all the way through. You can't hate him for being out for concussion protocol there for a week. Ronnie Bell started out with like maybe a D because he had that one bad game in the preseason, but then has really worked his way up and gets an A over the last couple games. So that kind of averages out. And then Cornelius Johnson, yeah, I mean, some great moments and more consistent than he is inconsistent. I'm a bit of a defender of CJ, but I mean, he's in that Amaro Darbo range. Jason Avant, probably not quite as good as Jason Avant range, where he's your third guy and you just want him to make the catches that are available to him. And for the most part, he's done that. But nobody has had like a, a game breaking like, oh, man, if it weren't for that receiver, we wouldn't have won that. And some of that's game plan. Some of that is execution. I would say that they're getting open enough, but I think we just wanted to see more out of like Andrew Anthony, Darius Clemens, a few of these other guys. And maybe that's why this feels right as a B is that it feels good, but there's definitely been some stuff left on the table. Um, and then that'll move us over to tight ends, which is another interesting one because of the Eric all injury, but Schoonmaker has filled in more than admirably. Jim Harbaugh is a tight end guru. I'm going to start this one off. I feel I feel like it's a B plus because of the consistent blocking. You don't lose much in blocking when you drop down from Eric all to Schoonmaker. And that's been key. Absolutely. And I honestly would have accepted as high as an A minus, but I think B plus feels good, especially with the emergence of Max Bredesen. Honingford still playing at a very consistent level. Colston Loveland looks like he could be the one to really take this group to the next level with his build and size and what we are all starting to see. But yeah, Luke Schoonmaker has played his way into a very serviceable NFL tight end, uh, filling in for Eric Alf. Fingers still crossed we get to see EA back this season, but we'll see. But the Titans, man, like you said, the way they block and the way they have so much responsibility put on their shoulders in the running game and living up to it, not having the big drop-off despite having one of your best players injured early on in the year is very, very admirable. I'm with you. B-plus feels right. I mean, what are you going to do? Eric All was one of the best playmakers on this team. I think people put him like a peg below Edwards, Corum. Roman Wilson, Bell, and, you know, maybe even Andrew Anthony and stuff, but all is an absolute playmaker. So to lose him and still be doing really well at the tight end position and have that be a position that's a little bit of a security blanket for JJ, it's it's a good indicator of where we're at there. And Colston Loveland, man, your boy, 
going to be a player. Mark my words. I'm there on Colson Loveland. Uh, last position, quarterback. Another interesting one. You start out with Cade McNamara. Um, I guess you still have to kind of take in Cade McNamara's performance here because this is a team report card. But as soon as you switch to JJ, the efficiency at one point, he was the most efficient quarterback in the nation. I don't know if that still re- remains true after Penn State. But to bring in a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, uh, coordinators, I'm pretty impressed with the quarterback position. But then all of the deep balls left out there and then some of the Cade McNamara possessions that went backwards and some of his interceptions take it down a peg. So you can't go A plus. Don't think you can go A. A minus feels slightly high. So this has got to be around the B plus B range. B feels right to me. Because it's like we're waiting to see. We spend way too much time together. Because as you're walking through that, I'm like this. I'm like this has to be a B. Like although, like we take away like a few of the deep balls missed. You and I were discussing off air his 39 yard on the run rollout pass to CJ. Just dropped it in a bucket. Right. Did it to Ronnie in the second half. And also not to mention what he's bringing with his legs. They finally unleashed him a little bit, and I guarantee there's a lot more in that bag about what he brings to this team as a runner. He's doing the smart things, not taking the dumb hits. And also, he is still the most efficient passer by almost 2.5%. He's completing at 77.1%. He's making the right reads. He's eliminating and really mitigating the dumb plays and just getting better week in and week out. And Harbaugh said it best. like He doesn't make the same mistake twice. Like You don't want to take the gunslinger playmaker out of him all the way, but you don't want him to hurt this team. I think he's done a really nice job balancing that so far, and I think B is right for this position group. Yeah, if we were just gauging this on talent of the quarterback room, it's an A, because I think you and I and most of the Michigan fans have seen enough that we're like, oh yeah, this guy can be great. But he hasn't had that performance yet where you're just like, well, there he is. That's uh, the next Heisman winner at Michigan or even something below that where you're like, oh, yeah, this guy can go out there and single handedly win a game that Michigan isn't in. So until we see that B feels right. But I think we both feel confident that's in the chamber. That's definitely in the chamber for JJ. So um, this was interesting. I'm glad we went through this. Nobody really getting too low of a grade whatsoever. Difficult to do so when you're seven and oh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the college football landscape at large, what it's going to take to get Michigan into the college football playoff. Then we're going to do a little something that we stole from our friend Bill Simmons. We're going to draft up the stats for the second half and then some of the season. Going to do all that and a little bit more when we get back right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M 
to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash block M. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming back on Out of the Blue, second half of this thing, we're going to navigate this landscape for you, figure out how Michigan gets to the college football playoff. The first way is quite easy, my friend. We just need to win every game in front of us. But as we know, the landscape is often treacherous and we've got to figure out a way to get in, even if there is a stumble up upon the way. We got to stay hungry like the creators of the Fast and the Furious. They could have stopped after two, three, four, five would have made a lot of sense. Great stopping point six. Yeah, let's go ahead and call it. No. We're going to be in space with Vin Diesel by the time this thing's over. I don't know where this is headed. We're going to be underwater battling Titans, but we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to stay hungry and figure out how Michigan, currently ranked at number four, gets ahead of Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson definitely still in the mix. So I'm going to run through this here. I'm going to give you the top 10, and then you give me your overall outlook on what you think of these teams based on what you've seen. Georgia currently at one, Ohio State at two, Tennessee at three after that epic game against Alabama, Michigan at four, Clemson five, Alabama six, Ole Miss seven, TCU eight, UCLA nine, Oregon 10, UCLA, TCU, Ole Miss, Clemson, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Georgia are all undefeated. So let's take stock of this thing, my friend. Yeah, man. You said a lot there, and it's a lot to break in and digest. But the way I think things are going to shake out with this group is I think it's going to be a two-conference race, and you could see two conferences having a pair in the Final Four. I really think the Big Ten, especially at the top with Michigan and Ohio State, and the SEC especially, are positioned very well to sneak two teams in here. I don't think the Big 12 is going to have the juice. I don't think the Pac-12 does. And I do the ACC has the Clemson hope, but that's it because I'm not a Syracuse believer who's ranked 14 right now. But there's going to be a lot of fun matchups to watch over the coming weeks. You have Tennessee that has to go plays Kentucky and then goes at Georgia in back-to-back weeks. Then you have uh, Georgia who has Florida, Tennessee at Mississippi State at Kentucky for a month stretch. So you could see them getting tripped up, especially maybe on the road there in Starkville with how they played against Missouri just a month ago. So a lot of interesting ball to come up and really good time to be in the Big Ten and have Michigan's hardest parts of their schedule kind of behind them, especially once they get past Michigan State, that is. Yes. So most of you that follow college football closely have probably heard of the two SEC teams or two Big Ten teams in the college football playoff scenario. They're now floating potentially the three SEC teams in the college football playoff scenario. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. Let's go ahead and toss that out. Uh, A lot of these teams have to play each other. As you've mentioned, Tennessee and Georgia will face off. Alabama doesn't have an easy road. They've got Mississippi State this week, then at LSU, at Ole Miss, who's currently ranked in the top 10 and undefeated. Austin P and Auburn. So Alabama's got another chance for a trip up. So I don't see that. The two Big Ten teams is possible. 
but I think that you're underselling the Clemson part of this all. Clemson being currently undefeated and improving has 14 Syracuse at home this week where Syracuse hasn't beaten them at home in like 20 years. Got the at Notre Dame night game, which I think we were early in the season hoping would be the trip up. Now Notre Dame looks awful. Louisville and then Miami and South Carolina. Clemson's path to the college football playoff looks the absolute easiest right now outside of Ohio State. But Ohio State has Michigan on their on their schedule. Thank God for for us, because if not, Ohio State would have the easiest schedule. So those two right now appear to have the easiest path. Ohio State could even lose just that Michigan game and get in. Clemson probably doesn't have room for error, but I think Clemson's all but assured right now. Yeah, I, th- I believe they can wrap up their uh, the Atlantic division um, this week if they beat Syracuse. Pretty much, they're the only ones really in contention there. They are just, they're five and zero in conference, yeah. just rolling away from everybody. So no, it's it's going to be interesting to watch shake out. It never goes like you're going like like you think it's going to. And I'm sure somebody was already mad that I said Michigan had like the harder part done. I'm just saying that in terms of trap games in their schedule, like every game remaining for Michigan, there's a lot of added motivation externally. Like with Michigan State, I don't have to hit the nail on the head either. With Ohio State, you already know what it is. But the three games in the middle there, the Rutgers, the Nebraska, and the Illinois. Rutgers and Nebraska speak for themselves from last year. And Illinois could be the number one rushing, number one rusher versus number two between Chase Brown and Blake Corm. So I like the way it really sets up for the Wolverines down the stretch. You said, hey, win every game, nice and easy. So that's all they really need to focus on. But man, it gets very nerve wracking just thinking about a close loss in Columbus to a one or two ranked Ohio State could be the nail that keeps Michigan out of the playoff. Exactly. And I think that would really rile us up and rile up most of the fan base if we are perfect all year long and come up a field goal short of Ohio State. And then that's the number one team. And they're like, actually, you know, uh, Alabama's lost to Tennessee, even though Tennessee ended up having two losses. We're okay with that. Alabama gets in over Michigan. That's the nightmare scenario. So as far as rooting interests, it's pretty easy. You want to root against Georgia, Tennessee, Clemson, Alabama every time. In particular, I think you want Georgia to drop one, and then I think you want them to beat Tennessee because Tennessee's more likely to drop one naturally versus Kentucky or maybe at South Carolina. But Tennessee's given me serious Cam Newton-Auburn vibes with just a really, really legitimate quarterback. I don't want to play Tennessee right now. Getting ahead of ourselves, we just got to find a way to get in. And you mentioned uh, Illinois now as being another ranked game on our schedule which we need so as far as rooting interests we need illinois to win every game until we play them we need that to be a a, another statement win on our resume so we are now i mean you and i were already there we send stockings full of meat and and gift cards for butchers to brett bielma every year (laughs) and year out we give him our place in in the buffet line we are big fans of bielma but michigan fans should be up until that illinois game as well because we need another ranked win I'm just looking at this picture right now, looking at who has to play who. And with Clemson all but assured in, Ohio State has the game at Penn State, which naturally I think we're hoping Penn State wins. Um, But that's about it for, for them. So we need style points and we need Illinois to keep winning. Yes, and it would be, I mean, if Alabama could lose another and have two losses, that would be the death nail for them. For Michigan, it would be great, though, because if they could beat Ohio State, then all of a sudden you have two 
top five wins on your resume. Not adjusted, but two top five wins there, which would be massive. And the one thing I don't know if anybody could pass up is if the Michigan-Ohio State game, who win or lose, like if it's a close, tight game, and the loser has one loss and the champion has none, how could you pass up a rematch in the playoff? Just set that up, just kind of like how Georgia and Alabama were last yeah. year. It's It'd be so enticing to everybody. I mean, it would do all of the numbers. It would be one of the most watched college football games of all time, especially if they rematch for the national championship. So there's just so many fun scenarios, but yes, root for chaos around us, but like, let's keep the good wins and Michigan controls their own destiny right now, which is the best part of it. And even if the Wolverines lost a game to say Nebraska, it's not over because you still control your destiny heading into Columbus. Correct. So Ohio State has that same thing going for them. So with that being in mind, would you rather they beat Penn State and have no fear coming into the Michigan game, think they're unbeatable, or would you rather Penn State get that one and they've got the loss on their record? Nope, absolutely not. I want Ohio State to think theirs doesn't stink. I want to think that they're the best team in football. This isn't the 21 team. We're in Columbus. We're going to do this. I, I want all that. I want them to have all that belief in themselves, and then I want them to just run into the buzzsaw that is the Michigan running game. That's my dream scenario. Yep, me too. I want people, the national media, being like, this Michigan team isn't that good. They're going to get housed by Ohio State. That's what I want. I, I want us to be underdogs. It just feels better coming in as the underdog. All right, sir, uh, we're going to be keeping up with this moving forward as we are now in the dog days of the college football season, and this stuff is going to start mattering more and more. <sighs> Next game we have is going to be a rivalry game and a big one, a must-have, a revenge game from last year. We're not covering that this week. That's next week with the Sklar brothers. Make sure you tune in for that. Uh, but now we've got an interesting little game that uh, totally lifted from the Bill Simmons podcast, but I don't care. It's a good idea, and they stole it from somebody else. So we're going to draft it up here. We're going to draft up where we think the stats are going to be distributed on this team for the second half and yeah, we can throw in the big 10 championship or the, the bowl game in there as well, since we should have done this last week, but here's how the stats skins draft is going to work. Basically you're drafting up a stat category and you're getting points based on that. Things that fall under one point are going to be a, a touchdown, a Blake Corum rushing touchdown, a JJ McCarthy rushing or passing touchdown. That's one point. 50 yards rushing is a point. 50 yards receiving is a point. 100 yards passing is a point. Tackle for loss, force fumble, fumble recovery, and pass breakup, all one point. We we together so far? Glorious. Yeah, I'm, I'm locked in. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question anyway. Two points is going to be 100 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving, 200 yards passing, an interception or a sack. If a interception turns into a pick six, that's plus four. If a fumble recovery turns into a scoop and score, that's plus four. So we're going to draft this up. On offense, you're drafting categories. On defense, you're just drafting the players. It sounds complicated. It's going to make a lot more sense as we go through this. Uh, do you want the first pick? Should we flip a coin for this? What do you think? I think you should just give it to me. I'm fine with that. Uh, I will not. So we're going to go ahead and flip a coin. <laughs> go ahead and call it heads or tails, sir. Tails. It is heads. I am going to happily take that first pick and I'm going to take Blake Corum rushing yards. 
it's it was such an obvious so, number one pick. <laughs> it it really felt like a pretty obvious one. So the way that this works is if Blake Corum rushes for 200 yards, uh, I'm going to get four points. If he just goes for 50, it's one point. If he goes for 100, it's two points. Um, what do you think for rounding up? Got to be within like a yard, two yards? Uh, 148 rounds up to 150? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we could probably do five yards. All right, we'll do five yards on either side of these. All right, sir, second pick of the draft. Okay, I'm going to stay with the same player. I'm taking Blake Corm touchdowns. That is probably the right call there. I mean, we've got a Heisman candidate running back going right now, setting absolute records. So I think we're just playing the, the right fields here. Uh, that makes sense. Go ahead and with the second pick, give me J.J. McCarthy touchdowns. Yeah. Okay. Pick comes back to me now. I think I'm going to go with um, Donovan Edwards rushing yards. Smart. He's ready to pop, man. 173. Wasn't his entire career rushing total from last year less than that? It was 174 all of last year. (laughs) So it was one yard less. Yeah. In one game. All right. Go ahead. In one game. Go ahead and give me Donovan Edwards touchdowns next then. Okay. Now this is where it gets interesting because JJ with the hundred yards passing for one point, it's like I could get two points out of most games. I think he's averaging right around there. So let me see. Um, I am going to go plus the, uh, the the possibility of the pick six and scoop and scores are always nice too, where it can four touchdowns for one pick six. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with man, this one is tough early on. Uh, give me a uh, Ronnie Bell receiving yards seems to be uh, developing into a favorite. I like that one. Good pick receiving yards. All right, then I will go ahead and take JJ passing yards. There's also JJ rushing yards, but I highly doubt JJ's going for 200. <laughs> I say that one gets a like a you can do that at your own accord. Um, this is interesting because the way Jesse Mentor uses his secondary defenders, I think those could be the really high value TFL force fumble sack guys, but also get in there for a pick. So I'm going to go with um, Mikey Sainer still on defense. Hmm. I love this pick because you have absolutely been riding this and you will not de-embark the train. You refuse, and I love it, sir. So uh, for defense, I'm just going to give you the player. So that means every time he has a sack, every time he has a tackle for loss, an interception, you get all of it. So that's a good pick. Um, since you took Sane Ristol, I'm going to take Mike Morris. I'm going to take that's Mike Morris' stats. has so to be the obvious be sacks, one next. Tackles for loss. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't take him, but I get it for Sainra still. You're up, sir. Okay, coming back to me, I'm going to um I'm gonna stay in the secondary. I'm going to go with um RJ Moten on this one. Dude, give me Moten. Again, you, I could get the value you, of the interceptions and the TFLs. You thief stole that one from me. All right, let's see what else I want. TFLs, I want give me Mozzie Smith. 
I'm after TFLs here. I like that, especially he can get in on the occasional sack as well with this disruptive he is on right. the inside. Um, next one, Maybe I'm going to go in there. Yeah, yeah. Next one, I'm going to go uh, Roman Wilson receiving yards. That's a great one. That is a good one. I thought you'd maybe go touchdown, but yeah, I think yards is the way to go. So you get, yeah, for 50 yards receiving, all you need is 50 from Roman to get a point. That feels like a pretty safe bet to get a point. All right. Things are getting interesting here. Go ahead and give me, man, the offense has been pretty well picked clean, but there's definitely still some stats to be had on the defense. Go ahead and give me Jalen Harrell. Now you're taking from me, my boy. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do it, brother. All right, you're up. God, oh God, I love Jalen Harrell so much. Um, I'm gonna, I'm going to stay on the offense here. Actually, I think I want to double down for a chance at some more points, and I'm gonna go with Ronnie Bell touchdowns. That's a good one. The, t- the double down is good because no matter what, if they have a good game, you're in good shape. Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. Go ahead and give me. It's getting tough now. I don't know. I mean, we both want those scoop and scores and the pick sixes, but we may not have another pick six this year. So, um, oh, should we add? That's too late to add Jake Moody. Jake Moody should have been a pickable character in this. We should like split that because there's only one kicker. That's true. Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, you would have to do um, like return yards with AJ Henning. So one person yeah. gets Henning, one person. Yeah, and let, yeah, good call. Let's not mess with that right now. All right, go ahead and give me Schoonmaker touchdowns. I like that a lot, man. Especially the way he uses Schoonmaker as a safety blanket. Yeah, I, I think he'll be. I mean, if all comes back, fantastic. But for the sake of this exercise. All right, um, I'm going to go back on the defense here. Give me the interception leader on the team, Rod Moore. That's a really good one. Man, we are both Rod Moore believers. Um, Probably not going to get a lot of TFLs or sacks, but maybe your best bet for interceptions. Um, All right, go ahead and give me DJ Turner. I'm buying in. Look, I mean, that was my guy for the longest period of time. I hold him to a high standard. He hasn't played as well as I want, but. He is so athletic. It's there. And he could have had four picks already. So I'm hoping he starts to reel him in. DJ. It's a that's the smart one because he's going to get targeted more than Jamon Green. So you're going to have the opportunity. Um al- allow me to double down again when it's coming back to me here because I'm kind of like running running low. Give me uh, Roman Wilson touchdowns. Yeah, we're running out of ideas here. All right. I like it. My final pick is going to be, I don't know that there's any more touchdowns to be had unless of injuries or something. There could be Cornelius Johnson. Oh yeah. Give me Cornelius Johnson receiving yards. I feel like that's a steal here in the last round. That's it. That's a really good one, especially the way you see him kind of getting integrated. Uh, the couple touchdowns he had against uh, Indiana. I mean, I could easily go CJ touchdown. I'm I'm torn between him or just like sniping your boy Junior Colson for TFLs here. Um, uh, get, yeah, give me CJ touchdowns. I'm going to mitigate you. I hate you. 
Uh, yeah, now I can't even root for CJ. That's kind of what it's been like rooting for CJ all this time. It's just like, I really like him, but I don't think he'll ever be my guy. Uh, this is fascinating. So let's run through it real quick. I have Blake Corum rushing yards, JJ McCarthy touchdowns, Donovan Edwards touchdowns, JJ passing yards. So I think I got you out of the gate. Having the first pick really helped me dictate it. Then things even out. I got Mike Morris, Mozzie Smith, Jalen Harrell, Schoonmaker touchdowns, DJ Turner, CJ receiving yards. So with your first pick, you went Blake Corum touchdowns, the right pick. Donovan Edwards rush yards, great pick. Ronnie Bell receiving yards. Mike Sain Rastill, just defensive player. RJ Moten, defensive player. Roman Wilson yards. Ronnie Bell TDs. Rod Moore as just defensive player. Roman Wilson TDs and CJ TDs. So we're going to keep track of this, man. Um, And we're definitely doing this next year before the season starts. Yeah, this is fun. I really hope people are able to keep track. We'll keep revisiting this. Um, I think we should definitely set like some more rules next year. This is obviously our first run through. Like you have four defensive players. I have three. I have a couple double downs. It's fun to get as soon as we're getting into it late. I finally understood some more strategy about like mitigating you on CJ at the end. Uh, how although we did do that with uh, Corum and Edwards, I think one of your biggest ones you have the advantage in though is JJ touchdowns and passing yards. That could be that could be the one to do it for you. That's where I felt I had the advantage by going first because you'd love to take JJ first, but you can't with Blake on the board. So that means I'm going to get first crack at JJ. So it felt like I was in control of the draft by winning the coin flip. But this was still interesting, man. And we got to do it, like I said, before the year next year, because it'll be so much more fun when we haven't had, you know, six, seven games of evidence here to take from. So that was that was enjoyable, sir. Let's move on here. Um that is almost the last thing we've got for you today, but we need to talk about the fact that we got a bye week and then we got Michigan State. We're coming off of a 41 to 17 win. I think you and I, we haven't ranked it yet, so let's try and do it on the fly here as far as Harbaugh victories. Obviously, number one being Ohio State last year. Number two is what on the road against Wisconsin when we hadn't beaten a top 10 opponent. Notre Dame at home. Is this right up in there? I mean, this is arguably right up there for like third best Harbaugh victory. It's up there, man. Obviously number one is unassailable. It's hard to put like the Michigan state in 19 game too high because that team was bad. The 18 win felt really significant right. holding them to 94 yards of offense. Um, this, this would be a, an exciting off season exercise to tear up all of the wins from the era, all of the wins from 15 to now, and then go through them as like a fun exercise in nostalgia and just see what we value more in a winning game. I also asked you about likability off the podcast. So we're not ready to answer because so much of this is going to come down to Ohio State. You can't rank this team yet because if they fall flat against Ohio State, it's pretty clear right? that that's boring podcasting, but that's just the way that it is. That's the way that we're all going to judge this. But as far as likability, where do you think this team ranks? We've had some very likable teams. That 16 team you and I were obsessed with. I almost dropped the F-bomb because of how much we love that 16 team. And then there was last year's team, which came in and we're like, nope, I'll never like a team more than that. And then 18 during the revenge tour, we thought we'd never like a team more than that. So where does this team rank with 16, 18, and 21 so far? I mean, obviously it'll be decided later on, but where do you think as far as likability? It's right in that mix. I mean, this team is definitely the relative of last year's team because there are so many carryover players, especially on the offense. 
But there's just so many like characteristics you can point out that are unique, such as like the no star defense, uh, Mikey Sainer still switching sides of the ball, Yabioki coming in for this like redemption tour, Mozzie Smith really becoming a man, Jamon Green waiting all this time, having his opportunity in 20, kind of squandering it, and now coming back and being the guy. Oluola Timi transferring, JJ McCarthy, like usurping Cade McNamara, a Big Ten winning quarterback, and to do what he's doing, Ronnie Bell's return. Like there's just so many different angles from this team. I think they're right in that mix that you have it, you have it a hundred percent right, obviously, with the 2021, 2016, and 2018. This is as much fun as I've had with either of those teams, and the way they finish it out will say where I can rank them finally. Yeah, we have to wait to see where we we finish this thing out. You brought up a great point that the stories on this team are different. Like you have to go and really look for the stories. These aren't things that you would really be looking for if you're just a casual observer of college football. Whereas last year, you might know who Aiden Hutchinson was coming into that game. You might not know who anybody other than J.J. McCarthy or Blake Corum is coming into this game. But the stories for the Michigan fans are great. We're like, oh, man, Mike Morris taking over and becoming a leader. Rod Moore as a sophomore, like commanding the back end. It's not as flashy, but it might be better. So as far as likability, flash is always going to win out. And I think you and I are like, we love the defense. We love tight ends that block. We love very bare bones thing, but we're also creatures of habit. So I think having like a Devin Bush or somebody on the defense that we could rally around and be like, oh, yeah, the Devin Bush defense would help improve, like move them up in that likability standards. But I really just love what I'm seeing as far as a unit. It might be that when we look back on this team, we just remember like, oh, yeah, it was the 22 defense. There might not be a name. If there is, it's Mozzie Smith. That's the guy that I really am drawn to. I like guys like Colson. I'm pulling for guys like Page and Turner, but there's nobody that's like, I'm going to say is my favorite player, you know, which is different than years past. That's a very good point. I'm, I'm weird and obscure. So like I, my favorite players on the team are Rod Moore, Mikey Sainer still and Eric all, but like, I think the one thing we're also going to remember, like kind of like piggybacking off that point is like the offensive line. Like I think like Corum could, Corum could win the Heisman. I mean, that flat out Blake Corm yeah, could win real. the Heisman. He's awesome in that conversation. And that's the way they could wrap up and really put a bow on this, but not possible without this offensive line and how the receivers block on the edge. And I think that's the sign of a great team is that you could pick out the individuals and this is what could separate them from last year. I remember the team first player second. I think you're right, man. I think we'll just remember this as the most complete team and some of that'll change because things can, you know, change with hindsight. You know, Tom Hanks was remembered as the guy from Philadelphia until he was the guy from Forrest Gump. So we could absolutely JJ McCarthy could explode next year, which I think that he will. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, they had JJ McCarthy on that team. Of course they were good. But when you look back at the meat and potatoes of it, it's like JJ McCarthy has just kind of been a steadying force and a really consistent one at that. But the meat and potatoes, the bones of this team is 100% the defense, the offensive line and the running game. So yeah, it's, it's fun to look at it right now. Like how are we going to look back and think on this team, but we're living it right now. And I agree. I'm having so much fun watching it. I've never been to this many games in one year already set the record and you and I are, dead set on going to the Michigan State game no matter what put it at night bring the rain make the tickets $315 we're still going to that thing still going because this could be just one of the 
most memorable games of the Harbaugh era. And I don't forget, I have receipts from certain people that tweeted out fire Harbaugh after last year's Michigan State game. So I don't, I mean, I've not forgotten about the fickle ones out there, but the real ones, the ones that listen to this podcast, the ones that will be out there in the rain with us, the ones that are going to be cracking Budweiser's early in the morning for a night kick. That's the ones, man. And like, it feels so good. I keep saying it and I can't harp on it enough. These are the good times. Like, this is what we want to imagine when Jim Harbaugh came here. This is what we're finally getting. And to have it just sustained from like year to year is something we haven't experienced as Michigan fans since the 05 to 06, 06 to 07 teams. Like, it has just been such a long time having it back to back like this. And you got to enjoy it. Last question before we call it a day. Who you got in a fight, Mozzie Smith or the noble forest ape known as Bigfoot? And he's obviously armored in Kevlar body armor. He could have Kevlar, but if Mozzie Smith is even slightly hungry, I do not want to be between that man and a sandwich. I've got Mozzie Smith over Bigfoot, like minus 165. Pretty easy for me. Pretty easy for me. This was a fun one, man. Good talking with you on the bye week. Next week, we've got the Sklar brothers. It's hate week. We always do that one big. We're going to come prepared for that one. Give me your 30-second initial thoughts on this Michigan-Michigan State game coming out of the bye week. I think this will be the most motivated Michigan team in a single game you've seen since Ohio State last year, and I think it's those two above all else. Harbaugh has never beaten Mel Tucker, not when he was a head coach, and Tucker was a DC with the Bears in the NFL. There's a lot riding on this line. This is a revenge game. This is the revenge tour culminated in one moment. They These two teams hate each other. The fan bases do. They remember the only blemish on the record was in East Lansing last year. I think you could see a rushing performance that even surpasses what we saw this past week. If they put up 500 rushing yards, how shocked would you be? I would not be shocked. I, this is not a game where respect or like consideration for the opponent is going to come into consideration. They're absolutely going to put the boot on the throat if they're able to. And I think they're able to. We have the horses. They don't have the horses. And the crowd, we're going to do our part. That's all I'm going to say about that. We're going to do our part. Oh, brother, we're going to do more. We're going to do everybody's part if we have to in our section, man. So can't wait. Next week, I get to drive up there, hang out with you, have a great weekend, get a great win. Good. These are the good times. These are the good times, sir. Uh, make sure you check in next week. The Sklar brothers, brothers, as I've mentioned, will be on. We're going to be breaking down Michigan, Michigan State, talking rivalry games with them. Looking forward to that. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Mason Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue, and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.